This is Dune Talk, a DuneNewsNet.com production. Join us now for the latest Dune news, reactions, and lively discussions. Welcome back to the next episode of Dune Talk. Happy to have you uh, here again. For this uh, episode, we're going to be discussing the IMAX exclusive look um, at Dune that took place on July uh, 21st. Really uh, exciting time. It's, uh, it's all happening now, like waves of, uh, of Dune content just, uh, just flowing in this, this week, uh, re real celebration. Uh, so this is uh, Marcus uh, speaking. Uh, so I'm here today with uh, Simon. Hey guys. And Garen. Hello. And Mark. Hi. So today uh, we're going to be discussing one big piece of movie news, which is uh, the, the Dune uh, IMAX event. And uh, we'll potentially get into the, the trailer as well later on. So moving on to movie news. Dune movie news. So yesterday, um, all four of us uh, got the opportunity to see the, the IMAX Presents uh, uh, exclusive look at uh, at Dune event in in various uh, cities across the United States and uh, United Kingdom. Uh, so it was uh, yeah, de definitely a special event. I'll start with with you, Simon. Uh, so we we were there at at the uh, Bellevue location uh, together. Like, what was your experience uh, of the event? Like, uh, getting there, or like um, the event itself. So Bellevue is about a two-hour drive from where I live. I live in Olympia in Washington. And like I was telling you guys, and Marcos knows this, uh, I was the first one there, super excited. <laughs> At first, the line, I was like, okay, there's no one here. A little bit after, there was one guy. And all of a sudden, it became six. It became 30. And you said there was at least 250 people, huh? You think in our theater? Yeah, I, I think it could have been more than that. Like it was, uh, yeah, fit, uh, 15 row uh, theater, like uh, 30 people per, per row. So yeah, it's uh, pretty full. Yeah, I, I can't express how happy and grateful I am. I got to see it on the IMAX screen and also the event, but I'll let the other boys talk about how overall their experience yeah, let, let's go over to you, uh, Garen, like uh, what one time zone ahead. <laughs> yeah, so uh, here in the uh, mountain time zone in Utah, I was fortunate to only be about 20 minutes away from the theater. So uh, I grabbed my 15-year-old son and we headed over and I, I got a little bit worried because I heard that they were going to obviously oversell, you know, the theater. And I, 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 for a lot of reasons, I wanted to make sure I was there. So we actually got there about an hour and a half early and they actually walked up and, and I got an assigned seat, which I didn't anticipate. So I was really thrilled about that because I was able to choose sort of the perfect location in an IMAX theater, which is something I really love to do. And then my son and I went and, you know, grabbed a, a burger at Five Guys and then headed back over. But when we headed back over at 630, um, the place was was packed. I mean, there was there was a line all the way down throughout the, the inside of the theater. Um I could just see, you know, who, who were the Dune fans, fans and who were just going to see other movies. And, mm -hmm. and I was really excited because I was, I was nervous that when I went there the first time and it was just sort of me alone with my son getting these tickets, I thought, wow, this could go one of two ways. And, uh, 
I was thrilled. I mean, people were excited, standing in line, talking about it, speculating about it, talking about cast. I, I just, it was a, it was a great experience. And, and I know we'll get into this, but I now fully understand why Denis wants us to see this on an IMAX screen. I, at first I, I thought, is this just a sort of marketing gimmick or something for IMAX? But my goodness, that is, he made this film for that complete sensory experience that you get on an IMAX screen. So I just am so excited. Yeah, nice. Yeah, for, for, for us, when we were in, in, in Bellevue, like we, we were in there at the beginning and like at first the, the movie theater was, was half full, but we kept seeing like people coming in, coming in until like five minutes before. I, I don't know if they actually turned people away, but like at, at the end it was it was a full full theater. And yeah, it was like a special feeling to like be there in like Frank Herbert's home state and like seeing the <laughs> uh, the, the first first look uh, preview. Like, uh, yeah, it was... was the, that uh, that definitely is a special feeling. Uh, so, and Mark, so you were uh, way ahead of us, like uh, fortunate to be in the in the UK uh, BST time zone. So, how was your experience uh, getting to the event and the event itself? Yeah, so in the UK there was only one IMAX theater in the whole of the UK showing it, which was down in London, which is about two and a half hours train drive train journey for me. So, I, I bit the bullet and uh, got the train down. Um, the, because it was uh, Cineworld unlimited membership uh, tickets, it meant it was assigned seating. Uh, it wasn't the sort of um, lottery almost in the States. Uh, but it did mean that the, um, the potential audience was great limited because you had to be living near London and have one of these very expensive unlimited memberships. Um, so unfortunately, it wasn't at capacity, the theatre. It was busy and there was, it was uh, lots of people, even with the social distancing, but there were empty seats, uh, which was disappointing to see. Um, but uh, I went down and I managed to get a, a ticket direct from Warner Brothers. Uh, I sent a begging letter to them. <laughs> and then I then also managed to win two, um, two tickets in the competition that Warner Brothers had on Twitter. So I gave those away to some fellow June fans, which I met for the first time down there. We were all wearing June t-shirts, so it was very easy to spot each other. Uh, but just uh, following on what, from what Garen said about um, IMAX, absolutely needs to be seen in IMAX. And I think I might buy some shares in IMAX because <laughs> yeah, this film is going to be such a success and it's going to drive people to IMAX, I'm sure. And when you say the, the social distancing, like, was there like a specific capacity that the theatres are currently in, in the UK? Um, I'm not too sure, but I think what they were doing is, uh, you know, if you got a pair of tickets, then there were two seats together, and then there was an empty seat or two empty seats, and then the next group of people or person, and then a couple of empty seats, and so on. So people were, were well spread out. Got it. Yeah, we but it, it was a huge theatre. We had no social distance whatsoever. Yeah, we had done. I mean, I was masked. It made me feel more like I was on a rack, especially on, a, <laughs> on the IMAX. <laughs> I, I do agree with you that, first of all, when I first heard the IMAX, then I was like, okay, it's a gimmick. Try and get people to come back to the theater. you know. But no, you're right. It's designed to be seen on a big screen, IMAX, 
even if you have a beautiful home theater at home, go see it at least once on IMAX, people, because then you can go home and watch it as much as you want on HBO Max. Sorry, Mark. I know you guys don't have HBO Max in England. <laughs> I, I might find a way to watch it. I don't know. <laughs> there's, there, there, there's ways. I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, but it is something that made me go, yes, this is what I want. I want the big epic. And I always say it should be the big epic 70 millimeter Lawrence of Arabia experience because that's what Dune is. It's a big epic picture. And the IMAX poster that they were giving away and Marcus and me will will tease about how some people can get a poster if they weren't there. <laughs> I think expresses it perfectly. You see a little Paul there in a giant planet. And that's what it felt like. We were just little people experiencing a big, epic production. Yeah, to add to that, uh, Simon, I think there's something about an IMAX screen, and I, I'm, I'm not being paid by IMAX to say this, but just the, the visceral bass and the speakers and the sound system in that theater, it, it just takes you out of your reality. It just transports you to another place. And then the size of that screen gives you no option. It's all you can see in front of you. Right. So I just thought it was, it was a perfect combination of being able to give a otherworldly storytelling experience but I really felt like I was not on the earth anymore. I felt like I was somewhere else. And to me, that was just a, that was a win. Yeah. I mean, so uh, my girlfriend came along because she's the one that drives and I don't drive. I got no shame. Um, and she was super intrigued by it. She's like, I was on the edge of my seat and we'll talk more about what we saw, but she's like the sound, the sound design and, the score and everything, she's like, okay, I'm sold. Like, now I want to know what this is all about. Yeah, and, and part of it, I think, for, for me was this, this is probably the first time I had been back in a cinema since, uh, yeah, I think 17 months, uh, li literally. Um, yeah, and I think e even though I was like, uh, you know, taking taking notes at the, at the same time, uh, yeah, I just feel like, felt like so, like, engrossed in everything that, that that was that was happening it was, it was like re really an emotional ex experience just like uh, being there and like seeing this uh the the first 10 minutes of like this this film that i've been waiting for for, for all the, this time and like seeing like the epic events on on screen it was uh yeah it, it was that def definitely left left a huge uh, impression on me um maybe going back to to you mark like uh what, what was your overall impression of the, the content that you saw uh, during the event. Yeah, uh, stunning, blown away by it. Um, just the, the scale of it, um, I don't know if we talk about it now or later, but just the size of some of the ships on there that overflowed the huge IMAX screen and the, the, the scale, unbelievable. But yeah, it was like, what do I, trying to concentrate on three things at once, you know, trying to absorb what the scene, trying to look all around the screen at all the details, trying to uh, concentrate on Hans Zimmer's score at the same time. Uh, yeah, I need to see it a couple more times, I think. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that went by really, really quick. What about you, Garen, your, your overall impression of, of what you saw? Yeah, I think I, I tweeted out that it was a, 
it was a visceral and an immersive experience in, in a way I did not expect at all. So, so for me, um, because I've read the book so many times, um, and I'm very conscious of, of what the storyline is, I was really excited to see that I felt like I was watching this, this experience and these characters for the first time. Um, there's a sequence that we can talk about later where I know exactly what's going to happen, but my heart was just pounding out of my chest. <laughs> I was like, are they going to make it? You know? And, and I thought, you know, that is a huge win for Denis because I know this story better than most people. And I was completely in it and I was completely absorbed and connected to the characters and what was happening in that particular uh, segment of the story. So um, I was, I was just thrilled. I, I just thought the way he's going to do this is a way that I think is not only going to be exciting and, and is going to make uh, even a bigger Dune fan out of me, but it's going to connect people. My 15 year old son, I asked him as we walked out, I said, so, you know, he, he didn't know anything about the story. I'd never told him about the basics of the story. And I said, what was your overall feeling or reaction to that? And he said, I totally understood what was happening and I totally want to see that movie. Nice. And I thought that was a huge win because, you know, I didn't want anyone coming out of there confused. And, and I just, I loved it. I thought it was a great experience. Great. Simon, any other thoughts? Um, I agree with, it felt like, and I know what scene you're talking about, and we'll get to that scene. And it was just, obviously, I know character A and B are going to be around, but it's just getting to that point where I was like, oh, are they going to make it? And how certain stuff also happens in that scene. And just the quality of detail, just even in the little stuff, and we'll we'll talk about one of my favorite little details. I was like, oh, so sweet. And I was just taken away. And again, very much like your son, my girlfriend knowing nothing about it, just hearing me say random words around the house was like, okay, now I'm intrigued. I want to know more. And I feel the opening was done perfectly for old fans, new fans, and anyone that's ever been curious about Dune. It gives yeah, you, I agree. It gives you the bullet points. This is where the world is. This is what's going on. Awesome. Let's go from there. Yeah, and and to give context to to my my view, like so, I'm I'm someone who's who's read the book uh, multiple times, like since I was in primary school. I've uh, like watched the David Lynch film. I've I've seen seen the miniseries. I've read a lot of the like expanded uh, books as well so it's it's a world that's really really familiar to me and the impression that i came away with was like uh, you know I'm, I'm seeing something on screen and this is dune but at the same time it's it's a really fresh experience you know like i, I was i was feeling you know like that there's a lot that was added to the to the story so we'll, we'll get into that there there are some scenes in there that aren't specifically in the in the book like uh, frank herbert had a very uh, distinct writing style like sometimes he didn't go into much detail sometimes it, it was more about the dialogue but I felt that the way that some of the scenes were were expanded like really added to the to the experience and like really made this like a 
yeah, completely new experience in a, in a positive way. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I did cry a couple of times out of just joy. I was like, yes, since I was, since 1984, since I was probably six or seven, I can't do the math right now, <laughs> but I'm like, yes, this is what I want. This is when I imagine when I fall asleep after reading Dune for so many times, this is the world I wanted to see. And this is the world I got. But you're right. It felt very familiar, but yet very different at the same time, like for the first time. Yes, so you I'm cried. That, that's <laughs> terrible wolf discipline. Hey, I, I was trying to save the water, okay? But I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't hold on to my water. Just spoilers if no one knows that joke yet. The feeling I kept having, uh, even, even though I described how I had a full suspension of disbelief, I, I kept having this feeling like they're doing this right. <laughs> I was like, you guys are nailing this, right? So just keep it up. It was, it was fun to see. And there was this feeling because as, as we know, like in, at the time that the previous adaptations were made, there were, there were all these limits with technology. Like uh, if you look at the, the ornithopters in, in Lynch's Dune, I mean, they're, they're very different compared to what we're seeing now. Uh, so there was definitely that, that, that feeling that what we're seeing now is like the definitive like uh, vision, the um, potentially the, the best possible way that we can get the story of Dune on, onto the screen, like using all of today's uh, uh, state of the art technology and of course uh, the, in IMAX as well. Well, there's that. And also just I believe that Denis is a fan. I don't believe that, you know, it's part of the marketing. Oh, yes, I've been a fan since I was a little kid. No, I believe generally when he's talking about it that he's passionate about it i mean even the han zimmer stuff you can tell han is passionate about it too it's not like oh okay warner brothers you want me to hit these bullet points no it's it comes from his heart yeah yeah, totally. yeah. so what i wanted to um uh, share was basically an, an overview like what what exactly did we see in in this um in this exclusive event, like because of, of course, uh, many people didn't have the chance to, to see this. It was like only in limited number of countries. Uh, so basically the, the event kicked off and um, we, we had an, an opening uh, montage with uh, 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 Denis, all the different um, actors, um, basically like giving their their, their thoughts about the, the movie and in, in the meantime there was like behind the scenes uh, footage being showed we also had a quick appearance of uh, of brian herbert who who um who, who came on screen for for a moment um yeah and then was was basically uh uh talking about one, one of the quotes that stood out for for me was i think about uh from oscar isaac and he was mentioning that this is a story about um, about Earth and like about the the, the clash of, of cultures. Uh, so that, that stood out to me. Um, and then after that, we had uh, Timmy Chalmay who came on screen and then he he introduced saying that you know we were going to get the first uh, ten minutes of the movie and then of course there were there were cheers in uh, in our theater. Um, so then we we saw the, the first. Uh, 10 minutes of the movie and that really went by by fast um and then after that we had um a, another montage and then we had an interesting discussion um between um 
uh, Denis Villeneuve and Hans uh, Zimmer about uh, the, the score and like uh, that that the, the, the was a yeah like a re really candid uh, discussion about like how they decided to to work with each other, um, and of course we got to hear uh, some of the, the the music, the soundtrack, what what would, what the influences were. And then finally, we had the the release of the the new trailer that now has been released on the on the internet, and everybody's had a had a chance to see it. So that's that was basically the the structure of, of what we saw. And uh, as I was saying, with the first ten minutes of footage, it, it went by, uh, but by really really fast. Uh, so like just I think uh, I heard multiple people in the audience say like, you know, I, I want more. <laughs> you guys um, think that opening scene was ten minutes? It felt so fast. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was. I, I, it was. It was a, a, a. I like how I got to know the characters in that, though. Even though it was only ten minutes, I felt like I got to know them as as well as I could have in that short amount of time. So I appreciated that. Marcus, can we talk about some of the stuff that we saw? Is it spoiler time or not? Yeah. <laughs> so, so maybe before we get into to spoilers, I'm I'm going to be conscious that some people they want to know all the details about what we what we saw and like what our impressions were, but some people maybe prefer to to like uh, remain as unspoiled as possible before the movie. Uh, so let's first discuss that that first part of the the section with the with the the actors and the director talking. Uh, and then we'll we'll give a cue uh, saying like when the spoiler discussion is is going to start, and then like if you really want to avoid um, any discussion of what's going to be in in the movie, then that will be a good good jumping off point. Um, yeah, in your in your recap of the event, I think you missed the Foxes scene. I don't think you mentioned that. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. So so we we, we saw the an additional uh, scene, which which was what we saw in the first uh, first trailer of the. Of the worm uh, swallowing swallowing the the spice harvester. Simon, so, so in terms of that that first section, uh, what were your thoughts like hear, hearing the director, the the actors, the the states talking about the film and seeing that behind the scenes footage? I was excited and very much. I was trying to pay attention to details, the scene, and just overall, I'm like, yes, this is happening right in front of my eyes. I was like, I. I was blown away by it. I think it looked like they had a good time on the production also. And I agree with you. Oscar Isaac did say something that is what one of the many layers of Dune. It is very much about where we're at as a society. And it's very much about Earth and where we're heading and where we come from. Uh, yeah, it was great. Uh, it, some of it sort of overlapped a little bit with the Colbert interview that we saw last year. So there was various clips and segments that we'd seen before, but a tiny portion. Uh, but yeah, I'm the same as Simon. I was trying to concentrate on everything. I'm looking at details and then I'm realizing I'm not listening to what somebody's saying because I'm focusing on <laughs> some background action. Uh, but yeah, a lot to take in. And at the end of the event, uh, someone shouted again. Uh, and I think everyone felt the same. You know, you need to need to see that multiple times to uh, absorb all the details. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, Garen, did, did anything stand out to you in those that first uh, section? I, I really liked how um, the, the actors, the cast, were making it clear to me that uh, Denis really is a fan and always has been a fan. In fact, I don't know if it was Dave Batista or someone said, 
his his fandom borders on obsession or something and and as a as a dune fan i loved hearing that because i don't want to just think that i'm you know i'm believing this claim that he's a dune fan but you know i i want to have that even more confirmed and because that because i care about this story so much i want it in the hands of somebody who's going to to do it justice and is going to to put as much care and concern and and attention to detail as I would want because it means so much to me. So, so I, I actually really appreciated seeing Denise face and, you know, seeing him, his emotions around the whole thing and his thoughts and, and then also hearing the cast confirm that I, I appreciated that a lot. Okay. So I think uh, it's time to go into what we saw in the first uh, 10 minutes of the, the movie. So, uh, there, there will be spoilers ahead, of course. If, if you've read the book, you, you know a lot about uh, what's what's happening, but there there are so, some differences, so uh, just uh, be aware of that. I must not fear, for fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. So the the movie uh, starts with... Uh, with something that that's really new, so we, we have uh, uh, Chani who's who's narrating the the opening. So basically, it the the movie starts out. We we, ha we have the sands, and of course, uh, well b before that, uh, the, the most important uh, like thing that stood out to me is that we saw the the name of the movie is Dune Part One. So uh, Simon, <laughs> any thoughts on that? <laughs> Um, I was a happy camper when I saw that. <laughs> so I'm hoping that still sticks when it comes out theatrically and they don't digitally remove that. I was like, this is part one. Is it chapter one of the story? Like, are they going to break it down in the movie? Then I, I thought, I was like, no, calm down, Simon. It says part one. <laughs> this is part one. Part two will get <laughs> announced <laughs> or as I'm saying, maybe it's already been filmed and they're keeping that super hush-hush. But I was happy. I loved everything about it. And Marcus was just taking notes. He didn't even notice that the Warner Brothers logo was blue. And I was like, that little touch right there gives a special little warm feeling in my heart. And I loved that opening montage. I felt like it explained the world so much. And Zendaya, you know, I'm going to be honest. All I know from Zendaya is the Spider-Man films. And I was like, I believe her. I believe who she is. And the way she said her dialogue, like, they've been here before I was even born. And I don't know what's coming next. I felt the fear when she said that. Like, what is coming to my planet? What is coming to my people? And you can tell she's been a warrior. She's been fighting this fight forever. And she has. Garen, was that a surprise to you when, when you saw the, t the title come on screen? Yeah, but I was, I was thrilled because to me, if, if looking at this from a business perspective, you know, putting that up there is communicating something really important to, to not only those of us who are fans who were there, um, but to, to the rest of the world that, that this clearly is part one. And it felt to me like a commitment to part two. Um, I realize, you know, the number crunchers at Warner Brothers may feel differently about that at some point, but 
I, I just believe it, it shows their um, willingness to be behind us as fans. And I, I really thought that little, that little text was really important. Mark, your, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I was surprised to see that. Um, I was surprised, actually, that uh, even though they said it was the first 10 minutes of the film, I wasn't expecting to see the title cards for Warner Brothers and Legendary. I thought, you know, maybe it wasn't really the first 10 minutes. Maybe there was like a little prologue before it or something. But no, it's like the proper 10 minutes. And not only did it say part one, but we also got to see the year of 10,191 on screen. Uh, which didn't have the AG after it, so I'm sure that will cause plenty of discussions in the forums, but, um, yep, we know the year as well. Yeah, and going to that uh, that opening uh, narration, I think, as, as Simon said, like, uh, Zendaya delivered that that perfectly. It was, uh, you know, like, really heartfelt from, from, from the character, like, of, of someone who's been living on the planet their entire lives. They, they they love their planet, but at the same time, they've been oppressed by the their uh, their the occupation of of House Harkonnen, and um, yeah, how now now it's basically from their perspective, you know, House Harkonnen is is uh, is leaving, and then House Atreides is is coming in. But from their perspective, it's it's basically the, the, the same thing. It's going to be like another uh, another set of oppressors. Uh, uh, it can be completely worse. You know, they might be like, okay, well, that was bad, but the way she delivers what's next is, is it going to even be worse than what we've experienced? You know, the future is very scary for people that are oppressed because you don't know what you're going to get. And if you grow up and you're raised that way, you only know that there is no hope. One thing that impressed me as well about the opening is I've got a large collection of Dune scripts from multiple adaptations throughout the decades. And the opening of Dune has always been a problem for the scripts because you've got to address that world building. And normally they're addressing it, you know, like in Lynch films with the Emperor talking to the Guild or the Emperor talking to a Senate with House Atreides and Harkonnen or you've got something going on on Caladan nobody has ever approached it from the point of view of the Fremen before. And I think that speaks volumes for Denny's vision of Dune to, to start with the Fremen. And it's, it's their world, it's their story. And it, very impactful and very surprising. I'm grateful to see that. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was actually just uh, writing about that. You know, of, of course, this is going to be the, the story of like the great houses, uh, nobles, uh, dukes uh, barons but it's it's also going to be going to be the story of like the planet of arrakis and and it's it's people and i think that that's like something that's uh, very clear from the from the trailer that that was released and we'll we'll get into that as as well uh garen what, what did you think about the decision for for this opening um i i really loved the visuals of it um i i was doing just a a minor bit of analysis as I could hear uh, Zendaya's voice and, and Chani describing uh, what the planet means to her and then showing the oppression of her people. Um, but what I, what I loved about it is it, instead of having it be this broad, expansive, here are the noble houses and, and here's you know, the way uh, the 84 Lynch's Dune opens, I, I like how it, I 
I very quickly, within seconds, I cared about these people. I cared about the Fremen, not even really knowing much about them at all. I mean, I do as a fan, but uh, like my son, he doesn't know who these people are. But immediately I care about them. I can see they're fighting for their families and their lives and their home. And, and I, I thought Zendaya did a fantastic job. Like, like I think Simon, you mentioned, I believed her right out of the gate. Um, she suddenly became this figure of power really quickly. Um, so it was an interesting choice, you know, like, like Mark said, to start with this, but I thought it accomplished so much in such a short period of time that it, it just connected my heart to these people and, and made me really care about not only the planet, but also the Fremen as a people. So I, I, I liked that a lot. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And one one of the things that I I love to see was when they were showing the the Fremen resistance against the Harkonnens, how they were you know like attacking the spice operations, and uh, Shani was was there, like uh, maybe even leading those uh, those attacks. I think that that really added so much to to her her character because in in the book we don't really know much about her like in the first section except from the from the dream. She only becomes like an actual character. Um, in the second part of the book, um, and we've we've heard from the interviews with Zanai herself that she was only in the film for for a little bit, uh, but it seems that you know we're, we're already, already going to get get to know her as a character from from the opening from from those uh, those action scenes. So I think that that's going to add so much to her character and, and make make her like more three dimensional, like as you were saying, like someone who who you're really going to care about as as a viewer. You know, Marcus, if I can add to what I said earlier is. I love how Denis is using, he's so efficient in, in the writing and the cinematography of the story because even, even Chani's description of the wind blowing across the sand and sometimes you can see the spice. And I don't recall that from the book, but I think that's an, an incredible statement because immediately as a viewer, I realize the sand contains the spice. The spice is something important. And then we learn pretty quickly what that is. So again, without, you know, uh, paragraphs of dialogue in just mere seconds, it establishes, you know, there's more going on in this planet than, than just appears to be sand. Sand can just be this annoying, you know, uh, just irrelevant thing. But on, on Arrakis, this, this contains the, uh, the spice, which is the most valuable thing in the universe. And that scene, I feel it's so crucial, like you're talking about how you see the sand, because in the scene we see later with Paul, we see that sand show up again and not like, so I, is it okay if I spoil the scene that we're talking about with Paul later on? Yeah, go ahead. So like when he starts smelling the spice for the first time, it's very much, whoa, I'm experiencing something because of this right now it's not like the david lynch movie like, oh i smelled spice oh it smells different like no this is like really okay this is it's part of arrakis it's part of the culture it's part of who these people are yeah and i think it's interesting the perspective of of the the spice as something even a thing of, of, of beauty or something that, that has that, that effect. Whereas in the other adaptations, the focus was, was always on, you know, this is a, a resource. Uh, 
things. So that that definitely adds more more dimension, more perspectives to to what the spice means to the to the native uh, people as, as well. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things that um, this film is an adaptation, uh, and that's what uh, I think everyone's got to remember. So, you know, the Lynch Ad is adaptation, which you know people complained about various bits, and the miniseries had their adaptation, which tried to be more faithful, but again, they, you know, they added more Irulan into that, uh, uh, into that, and more Emperor scenes into the miniseries. Uh, but again, Denny is doing his adaptation, so it's not going to be a literal uh, description and visual of the book, scene for scene, word for word, but it's taking those themes and putting them on the screen, and that's what we need to, we need to see the importance of spice, uh, not necessarily be told it, and yeah, it's a fantastic opening. Hey Marcus, I, I wanted to also mention in that opening sequence uh, with Chani and, and the Fremen, I thought it was an interesting choice to start the movie off with uh, some warfare and, and yeah. conflict um, because it's very clear what's happening in that, in that sequence. Um, and I obviously, you know, that, that is something that's very appealing to moviegoers, right? Because it's action, it's, it's battle, it's war. Um, but I, I really actually thought that was, that really drew me in because it's like, here I see these people fighting against the oppressors, but then they launch these, you know, incredible like heat seeking missiles or something that just takes out a whole platoon of Fremen. And, and I'm like, oh my goodness, like these people are really oppressed. I mean, they're fighting for everything, but they're getting wiped out by one salvo, you know? So um, I thought that was an interesting choice again to, to start with this conflict, but that's good storytelling. You know, that, that really pulls people in when people are fighting for their lives instead of just an overview of, okay, we have this really important resource on this planet the Emperor wants to control it. The Harkonnens control it right now. You know, there's there's different ways, like Mark was saying, to convey the same story. So Denise's adaptation is is bringing in elements of of action, warfare, um, spirituality. I, I just love the combination of how he tells the story. Totally, and then that contrasts with the with the next scene, with which is where. You know, we, we leave this uh, this harsh reality of of the everyday life on uh, on Arrakis, and go uh, to um, to the planet of of Caladan, the ocean planet where it's uh, it's peaceful. We we open, we see that 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 scene of the of the the stormy uh, seas, um, and then we 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 go into the uh, castle Caladan, and then we're basically having like this uh, this breakfast uh, uh, where. Um, uh, Paul, Paul is uh, is sitting down with with his uh, with his mother, uh, Lady Jessica. Um, what what was your impression of that uh, that uh, table uh, scene, Mark? Uh, I loved that scene. I absolutely loved it. Um, so when uh, Jessica asks Paul to use the voice on him, on her, and he. he sort of gives a half-hearted attempt and <laughs> she tells him to step up his game and then there's a beautiful moment where he just concentrates and we see the wind chimes move and we see this portrait of uh, 
Paulus Atreides, I'm guessing, on the wall. And there's a little abstract model of a bullfighter and a bull. And just those little beats and that calmness. And that's something you'd never seen the Rise of Skywalker in a million years. Just that little moment to breathe, the atmosphere, and then the voice kicks in. Oh, uh, I'm sure we're all... <laughs> I'm sure we're all waiting to hear what the voice sounded like. So uh, what were your thoughts on the voice? So, Mark, if I can interrupt really fast, that yep. scene that you're talking about, seeing the painting, that kind of also looks like Patrick Stewart a little bit. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> and the little maquette and all that, that's the scene I was saying that I love the little details right there. If you know what that is, great. If you don't, yeah. then don't worry about it. It just brings another layer and as much as I love Star Wars, I consider the right the Rise of Skywalker as it doesn't exist in my head. I keep forgetting <laughs> it was ever made. And I I so in my life, my favorite fandom are Dune, old school Ninja Turtles, and Star Wars, but the Rise of Skywalker does not exist in my head. But you're right. It's <laughs> the and was I the only one that felt like that scene between when she says use the voice and when he actually did the voice felt long but short at the same time like you you felt the tension like what's it going to sound like what's going to happen like what is next what's the next emotion that we're going to get from them yeah i love that yeah. i love the the what you're talking about marcus about the breathe it'll it denia allows the scene to kind of play out a little bit so that we feel the emotions and i i loved the interaction between a teenager and a mother who wants the best for his son. And, you know, she's explained to him that, you know, you, you have to put on your, you know, your, your proper dress today for the, for the field ceremony and everything. And he's like, do I have to do that? You know, and, but it's not in a sort of whiny, you know, Luke Skywalker kind of a way. It's like, it, it felt like a, well, what a real teenager would say. And then, you know, I want you to use the voice. I'm too tired. You know, I just, I love the little writing details that made it feel real, like a real mother and a real teenager talking in the morning about life and about, you know, struggles. And I just thought it was, and I, I loved how it was paced just right. It was never too slow. It, it gave it the space it needed to feel authentic. Yeah. And I, I really liked how, how they portrayed the usage of, of the voice. You know, it felt, uh, you, you did feel like that mystical element, but it, it felt like uh, realistic in in the way, like the the, the reactions, like how how Paul was like giving his his best best shot at it, and then like uh, Jessica's reaction, like what was she going to be able to resist it or or not, and then uh, in the end, like a bit little bit of uh, of levity. Uh, no, you you didn't get me, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that that was that was really well done. And going back to that point, you know, I, I love seeing all those those details in in the room, and that that's come come up when in many of the interviews with the with the crew about like how they they spend all that time to like you know make make the sets perfect, like thinking about like what what book is on the on the shelf, like what the the floors and the the carpets uh, look like, and yeah, the the, the painting of of, uh, of their ancestors. So it really added added a lot to, to the atmosphere, and yeah, there was just so much to take in in just that that one one short scene. And just while we're talking about the voice, at the very very start of the ten minutes, there was like a, a little caption that said um, "Memories of uh, Voices and Memories from the Deep" or something like that. I can't quite remember what it said, 
and there was like a an alien voice behind it. Did you oh. get that on your show? Yeah, I remember that. I remember it too, but I don't remember exactly what it said. And I was like, that's weird. But not thinking about it until right now. Yeah, I can't remember exactly what it said, but I've, I couldn't figure out if that was like meant to be a, the voice or a vision because he can't later on he hears stuff and he doesn't, he don't quite hear it or if it's meant to be a guild navigator or, or what. But it sounded very alien, almost like the aliens from Arrival. It's yeah. all connected. It's the Hell <laughs> <laughs> Nov universe. <laughs> yeah, and then um, yeah, and I think that that's what we we saw. Like also in the additional scene that we we saw about the the teases of of uh, of Paul's uh, prescience and and his his vision. So I I do think like that there are going to be a lot of like hints earlier earlier in the film, and that they're going to build up to those those reveals um, reveals later on. Uh, so off, after that that scene, we 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 had um, uh, like a scene where, where Paul is basically uh, he's uh, he, he's he's looking at the the, the hollow and and uh, doing a study of uh, of uh, Arrakis, and uh, you know there there he's seeing the the explanation, and what what stood out uh, to me is that like he was basically getting a different perspective of of what we had just like heard a few minutes earlier in, in a narration. In, in this case, on the on the hollow, it's, it's, uh, you're, you know they're talking about the spice as a resource. They're talking about the fremen as the dangerous uh, natives and like uh, you know savages. So it's, it was re really interesting to see that that reversal, that that different perspective that that people are seeing, like of a of a planet that's that's so far away from them. Garen, what was your thoughts on on the hollow scene? Yeah, I loved it. I'll, I'll be honest. I was thinking last night about how. Uh, Frank Herbert wrote these uh, these devices in his books called uh, film books, right? This is 1965, right? And kind of like Mark was saying, this is this is Denis' adaptation. So I'm, I, it makes total sense that he would then take something that's a, a film book, which in today's technology that just really wouldn't make a lot of sense to us and would, really wouldn't be a fit. But to have it be this this little device, you know, sitting on the pillow, which is then projecting this hollow. Um, I just thought, what a perfect, what a perfect choice, you know? And then again, like you said, I love that I'm getting the reinforcement about this planet. You know, this is, this is a planet that they're going to be going to and, and Paul's learning about it. And, um, and I just, again, to me, those are, that's attention to detail that, that really is meaningful. So yeah, I loved it. Simon, how did you like that scene? That that scene, and I don't know, especially at home, it, it made me feel once again, this is the scene. Like you said, it was a book. It was a projection. It wasn't a tablet. He could have easily, you know, they could have made like a fake looking iPad and he could have been looking at that. And what I remember, and everything's kind of a blur because, you know, seeing it just one time, I don't even think he's looking at a tablet. I think he's reading from a physical book which is so crucial in Dune and when you know about the lack of technology in the Dune universe, it just, it was beautiful. And like we were talking before the show, it wasn't even like an English alphabet that he was looking at. It was kind of an Egyptian or Arabic alphabet. And it just, it was beautiful. And I was like, 
just show me more of the little instruction manual about the still suit. Like, I wanted to see more of that. I know there's an art book coming, and I really hope we get a little bit more of all those little details. And that's just maybe me being the graphic designer, but I'm like, show me more of that. Show me the world around. Uh, Mark, thinking about like maybe the previous adaptations, like what was your impression of, of this scene compared to how this has been handled in, in the other previous movies and TV series? Yeah, uh, just echoing what everyone else has said, you know, if it, Lynch's film book is a, a chunky iPad, basically. <laughs> Uh, and to, to get away from that, and as Simon said, you know, you've got that dichotomy of futuristic hologram and a physical book. And you've got those two things working together in harmony. And uh, I really, really like that uh, use of modern techno uh, futuristic technology and technology that goes back thousands of years. And uh, Simon, you, you were saying you want the... Um, to see more of that in the art book. There is a limited edition art book coming out, which will have a copy of the Fremkit book, mm. which I'm assuming will be very similar and have, you know, that alphabet or the Fremen alphabet in there. So it's going to be so, expensive, but if you, <laughs> you will be able to get a copy of that, hopefully. So my PayPal is, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I take Venmo or you can just order it. I, I'll, I'll send my address over. No, I know. It's <laughs> trust me, it's something I'm like, ooh. Do I really want this? And do I do I really not say I'm just gonna eat ramen for a month or so <laughs> just to get that book? But I've already pre-ordered the one from my Amazon, the art book that Denise's wife worked on. As soon as Marcus told me about it, I was like, send me a link and pre-ordered. Yeah. 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 And the, the the alphabet, the alphabet and the languages in the um, in the film were created by uh, David Peterson, who oh, nice. uh, written several uh, books. He worked on Game of Thrones as well. He did the language for that. Um, so he's done a, he's got a book called The Art of Language Invention, um, <laughs> which covers his process. So in in Star Wars, the Arabesh alphabet, it's, it's English, but you just swap letters around. He actually creates proper languages. Um, so it would be very interesting to to hopefully hear a little bit more about that uh, after the movie comes out. As yeah. a font nerd and as a typeface <laughs> guy, I need to know the name of that book and I need to order that book. And I love that it seems like they got a font designer and someone that also understands how languages work. All right. Well, I'll be editing this video so I can free frame it and order it on Amazon. <laughs> Yep, it's the art of language invention. So, so I'll, I'll include that in the in the show notes uh, as as well. Yep. Um, yeah, and I think in, in terms of like the, the 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 book, the art book, the, the art and, and soul of Dune, like the regular edition, it's 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 really re reasonable price. Like from from what I've heard about the the, the contents, I think right now it's just thirty eight dollars on on Amazon in the US, and I guess in in Europe it will be a a similar price. So yeah, I would. Uh, from what I've I've heard, uh, totally worth it to recommend a pre-order. In terms of the li limited edition, so is, is is that the one that you've seen, uh, Mark, or is have you you've just seen pieces of it? Uh, I've just seen pieces which uh, the publisher accidentally put on their website and <laughs> after I'd seen it. So, um, <laughs> but hopefully that should be announced soon. I'm I'm hoping like last year when the trailer came out, we had a flood of 
uh, product announcements. And I'm hoping that we'll get some more product announcements uh, later today or maybe tomorrow. And fingers crossed that might be one of them. But I know not, I've got no inside information on that. That's just me wishful thinking. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. And um, so thinking about the next scene that we saw. So that was uh, when we saw the Imperial ship, uh, which was arriving on, on Caldan. And that, that was uh, just the ship itself was an Im impressive sight. So it was like a gigantic. Uh, uh, circular thing that was descendant and uh, descending and that that reminded me a little bit of uh, arrival like the um so uh, mark mark what did you think about that uh that ship from uh, <laughs> uh yeah that was great uh, i'd heard r rumors that there was going to be an imperial ship arriving at caladan but it wasn't clear if that was an old version of the script or what so to actually see that on the screen and realize that the rumors were true. <laughs> uh, that was fantastic. Uh, and again, it's uh, a, a, diff a scene not in the book at all, uh, but sets up, you know, some beautiful play between uh, Leto and Gurney. Um, uh, the looks between the Benny Gesserit and Jessica and Paul, and the, there's a lot that's unsaid in that one scene, just when every Jessica realizes that the Bene Gesserit's got a bead on Paul, uh, which I guess will develop further in the scene. Yes, so what, what were your thoughts when you saw that, that ship descending? So my first thought was, it's so interesting because I didn't think about Arrival, but I thought of the cover of Chapter House mm -hmm. for a while, that round circular, and I was like, more references that the art department Denis is pulling from and you're right there's so much body language in that scene and you can feel the tension and maybe because you know what's going to happen with certain characters but I'm like oh this is perfect and it felt there's where the IMAX experience really takes in also when it lands um, you can see the size of Caladan you can see everything that's going on you can tell this is a big celebration. And I also love just Oscar Isaac, like, we're done? Okay, we're good? Can we move on? Like, <laughs> I don't want to be, be doing this right now. This is not what I want to do. But seeing it is just so beautiful. And Caldan really makes me think of the Pacific Northwest when I look at it up here in Washington area. Yeah, and then... Uh... After that, we had um, the the guilds uh, the guildsmen, and then uh, coming out of the ship, as well as um, the imperial um, herald of the change who, who was arriving. Uh, what were your impressions of that uh, that scene, Garen? Well, I again a shout out to IMAX. I I loved the weight uh, of the ship uh, landing on the surface of the ground, and the <clears throat> you know the feet just collapsing down and just feeling the, the, the power and the weight of that. I, I love that. And then the way the, the massive, you know, plank uh, cascades down. And so just, just the scope and the size of this, of this whole <clears throat> interaction between, between these characters. Uh, I loved the background. It also reminded me of, of the Northwest um, in the background with the beautiful trees and, and mountains. Um, what I love about 
you know, what you were referring to, Simon, the unspoken body language and tension between Jessica, Paul, um, the, the Bene Gesserit. What I love about that is to someone who doesn't know the story the way we do, they realize something is going on there. But once they've seen the movie four or five times or they've then read the book, then they will be able to fill in all the details of what's actually being thought of and, and communicated mentally or emotionally between these characters. And I love how Denise allowed that space to be there because for me, who knows someone who knows these characters so well, I was, I was putting detail in there in my own imagination as to what Jessica was thinking and the tension and, and what she actually knows at that stage of the story and what the Benny Jesserit know, what Paul knows, what Paul doesn't know. So I just think that's masterful storytelling. And that scene really showed that well. There's something, you know, so a little background about me. I went to film school and there's something that's always been known about film. You can turn off the sound on any movie. And if you can tell what's going on without any dialogue, that is great filmmaking. That's why some of the early Chaplin stuff is amazing when you look at it still to this day. And that's where you get, you feel the tension without any of those characters saying a word. And you're right. Hopefully the average viewer will go back and go, okay, well now I'm interested. I'm going to go watch this again, maybe even on HBO max, or even, you know, they'll go back to a theater or the goal is they'll pick up the book, right? <laughs> that's the goal in the long run. But you feel it as someone that will go back and watch it a second time and be like, oh, yeah, that. Okay, that makes more sense why they shot them, not just showing Jessica and another lady. You're like, okay, who cares, right? But if you feel it, you're like, okay, something's happening here. What is it? It's very much going back to Star Wars with Anakin seeing Palpatine for the first time. You know in the back of your head what's going to happen but it's creating that tension. Yeah, and looking at, at the scene, I, I feel it's one, one of those, uh, what I mentioned earlier, it adds like so much um, context to the story of, of the book because th this scene is, isn't in the book. Like at the beginning of the book, we, we know that the that House Atreides has been mandated to leave Caladan and they're going to Arrakis to take over the spice production that's gonna be there. Um, their, their new uh, home and uh, you know they're, they're leaving what they're leaving behind and with with this scene it's basically it, it's it's all a formality right because beneath all of that you you know that house trades they they have to leave uh, the planet and uh, you know they, they have to do what what the emperor wants but still you, you have that that person who's the um who's uh, what they call him, the, the herald of the change. And he's basically coming there. They're, they're making like a whole ceremony about it. You know, like uh, House Atreides, uh, will you um, accept the emperor's uh, uh, orders to, to, to go on? And then, you know, uh, Duke Leo, he has to sign, sign the paperwork. And you have those, those, those scenes, as, uh, as uh, several of you were mentioning, like between the different characters about, you know, how they, they, they know that this is all like, uh, you know, uh, an affair to show like how how much the guild had to spend to to bring all these these navigators uh, here so you have all all that uh, uh discussion so that i felt that added so much to the char characterization and already like made you get to know uh several the the house of trades uh characters before they they start on, on their journey you know marcus i, I love like to... oh go ahead mark 
I was just going to say, I, I liked when uh, Fufir was calculating, he, he went an, into Mentat mode, yeah. and his eyes rode in the back of his head. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that as well. That was, that was a really interesting, again, an adaptation of, of establishing that this is a human supercomputer. You know, I, I loved that. The other thing I really liked about that scene was, you know, Oscar Isaac is, is such a well-known actor now, but compared to, you know, some of his roles, uh, you know, as uh, Poe Dameron in, in Star Wars, who, who is, you know, a little bit of a, almost a Han Solo type of a character. I, I loved how Oscar Isaac just immediately exuded this weight and authority. And I mean, he, I, I believed him right away that he was, that he was Duke Leto. I just, I was right in it. Just his, his stare and, you know, sort of that uh, uh, hawk-like features of that, that Herbert describes. It just, it was so apparent. He was so hyper-focused on what this was, but yet he wanted it to move forward. He's like, okay, let's, let's go here. Um, so loved that, loved that uh, dynamic of his performance. The feeling I've always got from Leto is he understands who he is. He understands where he comes from but he doesn't care about the day-to-day -day political stuff. And you get that very much in that scene, like, okay, so we're, we're, we're finished also? And I think it's also talking <laughs> to the audience, like, okay, so now we've set up everything. You know what's going on again. They're taking over this planet. It's a fish show. We've shown you, the, you know, the dog and pony show. Let's move on with the story. That's why I felt like also for the audience being like, okay, now we're going to really get into the meat of the story. Yeah, and there's uh, quite a few jokes as well throughout the the trailer and the uh, the preview, so it seems like it, there's going to be it's fairly light-hearted in places. And it should be. Did we get every uh, house of trade there? I don't think I saw Duncan. Duncan was then. there. Okay, which also makes sense for later on why Duncan is missing. Good. Yeah, yeah. and of course we we did see more of him in the in the trailer as well. Yeah, and um, uh, Mark, what, what did you make of the, the interactions, uh, like those looks between um, R Reverend Mother Mohayim and, and Lady Jessica? I don't think that was Mohayim. Um, I think that was the other actress that was cast um, uh, as a Benny Jesuit that was announced early this year. Um, it could, uh, with the veil, it's hard to tell. Yeah. But uh, I think she's perhaps there as a bit of a a bit of a spy just to have a double check before you know reporting in and uh, the reverend mother comes to have a good look at paul yeah so so then, then we'll, we'll get the the ganja bar scene like after she arrives coming after that yeah i honestly thought that we were going to get the ganja bar scene and when they set the first 10 minutes i was like okay we're going to get the ganja bar scene but i'm glad we didn't i'm glad they kept that also for the feature Film. Yeah, yeah I, I really like how how they've they've taken taken the time to like, you know, like show show Cal then like show show what the life is uh, is like they are show the show the different uh, characters the interactions uh, between them I think that that really really added a, a lot it, it like at the end of that ten minutes you know it just ended and it was like what that was already already ten <laughs> ten minutes but it, you know that there was a a, a lot there. 
Well, you know what they say, time flies when you're having fun. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that, that, was, that was the end of the, the first, uh, first 10 minutes. And then uh, after that, we, we got the, um, a scene that's going to be from, from later on in the movie when um, House Atreides has already arrived on, um, uh, on Arrakis and they're, they're going out for their first, uh, first journey in the or Ornithopter to see the, the spice production. And we, we already dis discussed that uh, earlier. Um, starting with, with you, Garen, what did you think of the, that, that scene and like potential some of the differences um, from what you were expecting? So the scene with the spice harvester to me was, was where I got super excited that this is going to be done right. Because that, that is such an iconic scene and, and such a, a visual scene in the book. Um, it's, it's the first experience we see where we, we have an interaction with these, these massive creatures and to understand the scale of these, of these sandworms. Um, what I, what I loved most about it is it took this scene that I know almost frame by frame, paragraph by paragraph, and I was completely taken out of my, my foreknowledge. I, 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 I was nervous the whole time. Uh, I had sweaty palms. My heart was pounding and just, just the sound of the ornithopter wings, the, the configuration, the way it felt so natural, uh, the way the ornithopter was being flown uh, and, and driven, uh, you know, by Leto and, and it just, I mean, the, the, the CGI is just amazing. I, I couldn't believe how um, cool enough for me. That's actually how I always envisioned uh, the Spice Harvesters is just exactly like what they've done there. And so to see that in a way that looked 100% real and authentic to me, I just, I couldn't get enough of it. So the sound of the, the ornithopter wings and, and just the tension and the pacing and, and then again, what I really loved, and this is not in the book, but having Paul have that experience, that episode where he gets overcome with the spice, he starts to feel this prescience ability that, that he doesn't really know he has at this point very well, and yet he almost gets left behind. I thought that was brilliant storytelling because not just, hey, we got to save these the spice harvester workers, and it shows that Duke Leto has a has a heart, right? It, it it establishes so much more by having Paul get overcome. He's down on his hands and knees. Gurney has to run out, run out and grab him and save him. To me, that's the same level of expansion and magnification that, to just use an example, I think Peter Jackson did with Lord of the Rings. He, he, he took it in a way that, yes, it's literal, but he expanded it and magnified it in a way that even makes it more engaging. And I just, at the end of that scene, I mean, people were cheering and I just sat there just trying to catch my breath. I, I just loved that scene. Totally. Yeah, let, let's uh, switch to Simon. Um, I agree. It's definitely one of those scenes, like we said early on in the show, we know what's going to happen, but you're on the edge of your seat the whole time. And I love, love that Paul, that, I mean, as far as we know, that's the first time he really 
smells the spice or anything. And it's going back to the opening credit, not the opening credit, but the opening scene with Shawnee talking about the spice and how it's part of the universe. And it was done perfectly. And once again, the scope of the IMAX showing this little dragonfly that my girlfriend called them little dragonfly like in this big epic scope and it is exactly what i imagined i also kind of got a dune 2000 vibe from the game <laughs> the, the design of them but you know that might be just me pl- playing that game the other day but it was just it's perfect it's the small details and it's a lot of the scenes that we saw in the original trailer from last year with paul's foot landing on you know the sand the first time him touching the sand and really looking at it you know it's it's perfection you know like i all i can think of during this whole entire event was merci denis you know thank you denis thank you for this thank you for making this fanboy and i'm sure fanboys and fangirls all like that loved this so much in their lives be exactly what we imagined and I was worried for Paul at one point, and I love that he even said, "I hear your footstep, old man." Like he's talking to himself, it seems like, but he knows Gurney's coming to save him. Yeah, and um, then he actually had a introduction to to that that scene, and he he was talking about the experience of of how um, this this scene is about uh, Paul, who he's he's touching foot on, on the desert for the first time and he, and he has that, that connection. And I think that that was like a, added a really dynamic, uh, interesting dynamic to that, uh, that scene. Um, Mark, there, there was one other difference in, in, in that scene and in how it, uh, how it played out. So what did you think of that difference? And uh, like, what did you think of the scene overall? Uh, yeah, I love the scene. Just uh, going back to what Simon said about, uh, I hear your footsteps, old man. I saw someone on Twitter speculating is he talking to shy halud there you know old man of the desert yeah so or is he talking to someone he's seen in the future um we'll find out i'm sure but uh might not be what it seems yeah that was actually my my, my first thought yeah uh yeah so uh the, the surprise for me was you know Oh, worms come in, call the carryall, and we've we've read it in the book, we've seen it in the movie, we've seen it in the miniseries. The carryall doesn't uh, turn up, yeah. but it does. <laughs> I was like, okay, is it going to blow up? Is it going to get shot down? What's going to happen? And we see that it can't uh, grab onto the harvester correctly. It's it's broken or being sabotaged or or something. So that was a that was a surprise, which I love to see. You know. It's not just a story that we're seeing. The surprise is in there. And so when Leto says, we've got to rescue them, the Fox Twins fold back, and they're just like dive bombers at that point. Uh, some fantastic flying and CGI in there. Well, you know, uh, yeah, you, know fun- you know, the flying's going to be awesome. Come on, it's, it's full damage. <laughs> He's the best pilot in the galaxy. <laughs> He's a spice runner as well, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Which is even more funny when I remember yep. that about the rise of Skywalker. I was like, mm, that's funny. <laughs> but once again, it's something we're familiar with, with a little bit of new. And that's yep. what makes it intriguing for fans. You get something that we love and cherish. 
and then we get a little bit of turn, but it works. It's just yeah. the perfect blend. Yeah. I did notice that all the spice miners seem to have an English accent, or was that just my imagination? <laughs> I think that's you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any, any final thoughts on, on that scene? Hey, Marcus, I, I have another thought. I've, I've recently been uh, watching some uh, trailers in my home theater for the new uh, Top Gun movie. I, I just I have such a fascination with fighter aircraft. And I thought the, the feeling of being the, the shots inside the ornithopters, the, the scenes of them kind of going around the, the audience, and I just thought there's so much attention to detail to like, the weight and heaviness of these of these vehicles and these aircraft and i i just thought stuff like that just that's what takes you out of your present experience that's what transports you to another world is all those details and it's it's the sound the image um but you know i just to me because i i've always loved that scene from lynch's dune as well but I mean, it's just a thousand times uh, magnified in intensity and ex overall experience compared to, to what uh, David Lynch did. So um, if, if there's more to come like that Spice Harvester scene, um, this movie's going to be a, a huge hit. Yeah, totally. I, I like the, uh, the bit as well when the, the worm's coming and it almost like it aerates the sand. Mm. And they start to sink into the sand, almost like quicksand or something. Uh, I, I love that detail. Yeah. yeah, it felt like an ocean of sand in, in, a, in a way. The way it was, it was moving almost, almost like water. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah and then we, we, of course, we, we don't see the the whole worm in, in this scene. We basically see the the worm's mouth as it comes to swallow up that massive uh, spice factory. So we we get an idea of the scale. Uh, but it's yeah, as as we know, it looks like the the big scenes with the with where we see the full worm that's going to be coming uh, later this, uh, in the movie. Um, so then we had basically that, that, that scene ended. Uh, and then we got a, a mon montage like uh, showing, showing some uh, different images. Like we, we got to see that, that photo again of like the, the Baron and, and Piter and some, some other, other scenes. We also saw, um, I think it, that, that was a scene with the with the Sarda car with uh, where, where they're getting the the, the blood uh, on, on them, um, and then we had that that discussion between uh, Denis Villeneuve and uh, Hans Hans Zimmer about uh, the the score. So we'll we'll start with you, uh, Simon. What was your takeaway from the, their conversation? I I'm so excited about that score. It's once again, it's two people that love the property, that love Dune, and that score blew me away. And I know we've been hearing one of the few things we've been hearing about this production is about the score. Hans Zimmer's music is something that you need to experience, and I'm glad I got to experience it. I don't know what IMAX is, I don't know if it's Dolby Digital, THX, whatever it was, but it was perfect. It, it gives it another world feeling and i like how he talks about how he doesn't want to use the same instruments for every you know every planet every universe you know i i rewatched the jovanovsky documentary the other day and i loved how he wanted to use like pink floyd for one 
and all that. I was like, okay, well, that's over the top. <laughs> but with Hans Zimmer composing different sounds, and one of my biggest complaints ever is, and I'm sure fanboys are going to hate me, I'm not a big John Williams fan because I feel like John Williams is pretty much copy and paste on a lot of his music. And Hans Zimmer is always someone that's trying to reinvent themselves. It's very much that evolution, evolve or die, you know, and he still makes music and people still want to work with him because he's evolving as an artist. So, yeah. Can, can I order my vinyl? I'm going to be that I'm going to be that hipster that's going to be like, uh, I want the Dune uh, album on vinyl. But I'll also buy it on <laughs> iTunes. <laughs> yeah, and I, I absolutely love love that comment. Uh, what 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 Hans uh, what was saying about you, you know th this is, these are cultures uh, in like a faraway universe. This is happening like twenty thousand years in the future. So why should the music sound like the music today? I know that sometimes people have a tendency to compare like things with with uh, you know our modern day experience but you know the reality is is this is completely different so i love how how they they had that idea okay we're, we're going to create those those sounds like what what would the sounds uh, be like for these cultures that are living in this you know this uh, uh sprawling uh, feudal society in a in a in a universe with um, millions of, of worlds uh garen what was your your thoughts uh, when when you were hearing them them discuss yeah, I, I, I love to see interaction like that between two uh, incredibly creative uh, 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 professionals. Um, I like how they were so deferential to, to each other. Uh, they were both so excited to work with each other um, and that uh, Hans has been a fan of this book. So again, if you're going to work on a project, you want people to be passionate about the source material. So what a great selection to have someone as well-known and as, as established as, as Hans Zimmer uh, do the music. I actually, when he was explaining that he, he would be creating, that he created new instruments and wanted it to be uh, a very unique and unfamiliar kind of a score, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, I got a little nervous uh, because I'm like, ah, I don't want this to be strange or weird or distracting. Um, because as I'm imagining a lot of the, the science fiction movies that I love, they do have the traditional, you know, John Williams type of a, a score. I mean, um, that just kind of is something we've culturally gotten into over the last couple of decades. So I was a little nervous about that, but as I, as I experienced it and thought about it again, I thought, but wait, I wasn't distracted by it. It felt appropriate but it helped again with that transport out of my world experience. So, so a little hesitant, a little concerned about that, but as I kept hearing it and as it went into more detail about the, the music, the, the score, I thought again, what a great creative decision. Mark, in, ter in terms of those, uh, those uh, new sounds and the vocals that, that, that we hear, what was your impression? Yeah, well, I was a little disappointed that Toto didn't come back to, to do the sports, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Hans, Hans Zimmer will do. Um, yeah, so I think Hans Zimmer turned down Christopher Nolan's tenant to do June, didn't he? Yeah. So uh, he's, he's clearly a, a fan of June, and uh, yeah, the ethereal voices and the the deep 
bass or percussion or whatever instruments he's created just sounded fantastic. And I think, as I said earlier, you know, half the time I'm trying to focus on the picture and the other half trying to take in what uh, what the score is doing. But uh, yeah, I'll definitely be buying that on CD. Hey, Mark. And, and the, yep. Oh, sorry, my camera. Oh. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> from last year's record day. And it's actually orange. Oh, so. I, yeah, I couldn't get that. It was like all the sites were crashing left, right, and center as I was trying to order it. So, oh, I was—I'm lucky. There's a little independent record store not too far from me, and I was—I called them. I'm like, "Hi, can you reserve the Dune soundtrack for me?" Like, <laughs> well, it's record day exclusive. We can't. I'm like, "Okay, what time do you guys open?" I was like, <laughs> "Were you there seven hours before?" <laughs> no. No, no, no. I had to work the night before, and also it's only a five-minute walk. So I want yeah. to live where you live. It's like five minutes walk to a record store, twenty minutes drive to an IMAX. It's uh... Uh, no, it, it was a two-hour drive to an IMAX. Oh, two-hour drive. All right, sorry. Was, uh... Yeah, but but to be fair, that that was because they only decided to have it in that that one location in the, in the whole state. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so that that was. That was like the final segment that, that we saw before the before the trailer uh, actually hit. But before that, I w did want to touch on on one thing that I had uh, I had noted down like about the previous scene. Um, yeah, like I, I I was overall really really impressed with the performance that, that we saw from uh, Timothy Chalamet for for uh, um, especially for that that sandworm uh, scene because we, we see like uh, you know f first he he's he's getting off the ornithopter and he's like has a really commanding commanding presence and you know he's telling the uh, the miners you know like go to that thopter and you know he's he's really in charge and then there's that scene with with the with the vision and then like you know he's lost control completely you know i, I thought that was like an an absolutely uh, yeah a, amazing performance i think if 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 it's like that the 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 whole film you know i i, I can can see some some awards in uh, in this future uh, do you guys have any closing thoughts on um, on any of the, the content outside of the, the trailer? I'll just uh, start with you, Garen. Um, no, I, I I like what you said about the the actors' performances. Um, I love. I know you can never choose a perfect cast uh, because people have such strong opinions about uh, ethnic background or, or racial decisions, but. But I just feel like the casting in this was done so well. Um, you know, I realize these are these are particularly the main the main lead characters are are very well known, and that's filmmaking, right? That's what Hollywood does. Mm -hmm. But I I think in terms of matching the right personality, the right even physical uh, look of these characters to these characters that I've known uh, for so many years. Uh, I just thought was was so well done, and you know the gender swapping thing. I, I just think I think that's great. Again, it's an adaptation. Um, I have no issue with that. In fact, I'm I'm supportive of of those decisions. Um, but it just I just love seeing all the different skin tones and and all the different you know uh, different accents. Even um, I, I like that. To me, that that feels good. And, and Timothy Chalamet, who I wasn't as familiar with because I, I haven't seen as many of his uh, movies recently, but um, to, to choose someone who has sort of a smaller, uh, thinner stature makes him feel younger. 
And, and I always had trouble with that. You know, I, I still love things about Lynch's Dune, but you know, Kyle MacLachlan is 23 years old or something like that when they're shooting that film. So he looks 45. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't work for me in knowing that Paul Atreides is a, is a teenager, you know, he's like 14 or 15, but I like how Timothy Chalamet has that feeling. I mean, that that scene where he has his shirt off, which I know, you know, all the fangirls will go crazy over told me this is a young person. This is a, this is a kid, you know? And so to then, have someone of that uh, with, with those kinds of acting chops, which he does, he, he, he's an amazing actor, to carry this film and to give Paul the, the weight and authority that this character needs. Um, I, I just, I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited about all the right components are in place for this to succeed. Um, uh, someone on Twitter was asked, you know, who hadn't seen the, the, the exclusive screening, you know, was asking someone who had, what didn't you like about it? What didn't work? And I thought about that uh, as, as it ended. And I thought, I, there's nothing that didn't work. Every component worked for me in a way that I'm, I couldn't be happier. Okay, so what we'll do, let, let's do a quick, quick round table, your, your high level reaction to the, um, uh, to the trailer, which which obviously was the, was the final um, um, part of the, the event where we saw the trailer the first time in, in IMAX. So I'll start with you, Simon. Uh, beautiful. I can't wait to rewatch it a million times on YouTube. I'll probably give it a couple thousand views just by myself. Um, just can it be October 22nd already? <laughs> Some of us have to wait, Mark. <laughs> a little bit October longer. October 21st, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you only get it a day before you, I'm afraid. So, uh... but still, you, you have time travel. You're ahead of us. <laughs> yeah. Mark, how about you? Uh, yeah, I've had the trailer on repeat all afternoon as well. So, uh, trying to work with that playing in the background. Uh, not quite sure how successful I've been, but yeah, uh, great trailer. Uh, we've seen a a bit more of a, the expanded world of Dune, a bit more of the Harkonnen, uh, a bit more of the Fremen, a um, lot more of Cheney. Um, so, yeah, great trailer, and it seems to be being well-received online as well, from what I can see. Garen, yeah. how about you? Um, yeah, I I was so enthralled with uh, the footage that, that we saw at the IMAX uh, event that uh, the trailer was a little bit overwhelming to me because uh, it, so much information is packed into those couple of minutes. Um, but I, I did love how it expanded. It magnified, you know, what people have seen up to this point. I think in terms of the effect, effectiveness of a, of a second trailer, I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna hit on all cylinders um, because you're, you're seeing more action. You're seeing more character development. You're just, what, what they're doing, I think, with this trailer is they're just, you know, allowing you to peek behind the curtain to see that this is really a vast, detailed, sophisticated world. And, and that's what's going to make people want to go see this film. So uh, I, I, will, I will watch it uh, 15 more times today and then uh, share it with all my family. Sadly, uh, I have to edit a podcast so I can't watch it on nonstop. <laughs> Can I just make one comment about Timothy Chalamet really fast? 
what Gareth was saying about how bony he is. He's very mouse-like in a way. I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> if you read the book, you know why that yeah. works. Yeah, and, uh, going going to Garen's last last point about the um, uh, the trailer. So with the first trailer, you already had that you know like this is a film that's really huge scale, uh, but potentially people who are new to it, you know, like they're like, okay, well, what's this actually about? And I felt that's where the, the second trailer like really works well because you do get that that full narrative, including that that narration with uh, with Chani at the beginning where she's, it's basically the, the beginning of the, of the movie where she's giving the introduction to the planet, uh, the oppression. So you, you understand what's, what's happening there. And then throughout the trailer, you get to like that introduction to the, to the characters, there's, there's more dialogue. So I think certainly this is a more like story driven trailer that, that I think will, will appeal to the, uh, to the broader audiences. And uh, yeah, we're, we're going to go into a lot more detail on, uh, on the trailer in, in our next uh, next episode. So uh, look forward to uh, yeah to an in-depth analysis for that. So uh, before we close the show, let me um, uh, uh, go do uh, a table. So uh, uh, Garen, where can people uh, uh, find more about you? Yeah, so uh, my website is dunecompanion.com. Uh, spelled just like it sounds. And uh, I, I love to write articles about the lore, uh, analysis of the story, the characters. And, um, and then I also have uh, uh, a Twitter handle, which is also at Dune Companion. And uh, I love to keep up with all the, all the excitement. And, and, and now at Fever Pitch, all the, all the Dune excitement. Thanks. And Mark, where can people find more about you? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, juneinfo.com and juneinfo on all the socials. So Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. <laughs> yeah, Simon, where can they find you? Well, sadly, I don't have a cold Dune handle. I just have. <laughs> so my, twi my Twitter handle is S-D-A-O-U-D-I, just my last name. And I've been trying to be more active on Twitter. But like I said before, I'm more active on Insta. That's, that's my jam. Yeah, and for myself, uh, Marcus, uh, so you can find uh, a lot of my articles on uh, newsnet.com and we're getting uh, yeah, more writers who have uh, been contributing uh, regularly. So you'll, you'll see uh, uh, hopefully the, the volume of, uh, of articles increasing, especially now over the summer that we're going to get uh, tons of news. And you can also follow uh, Dune Newsnet on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, so with that, I want to thank you uh, all for, uh, for joining us today. Like, uh, hope, hope you, uh, yeah, uh, got, got a good impression of, um, of the IMAX exclusive event and look forward to, uh, discussing trailer with you next week. Thanks. We hope you've enjoyed Dune Talk. Remember to like, subscribe, and turn on notifications so you know when the next episode drops. Stay tuned to dunenewsnet.com and add us to your social feeds. Be the first to hear breaking news and reviews.